I just had a little moment. Give me a little after the fact here. Um, Joyce and I have been co-workers for a long time in Christ. And uh, to share this moment with kids of your kids getting dedicated is just, it's cool. It's really cool. We are, we're talking about work today. Um, when we did a survey uh, some time ago um, to say in 2014, what are some of the topics, what are some of the scriptures that you'd really like us to dig into? The one that got more feedback than anything else was work. There were all kinds of issues surrounding work and questions surrounding work. You know, what, what does a God-honoring career path look like? And, and can I be doing God's work if I'm in a job that really doesn't look like it has anything to do with God's work? And what counts as work in God's eyes? Is it, is it got to be like church work or volunteering? Can a hobby be work in God's eyes? When it comes to witnessing, and a lot of those kind of questions. All right, how do we do that well? How do we not come on too strong? How do we not be so soft that no one knows that we're Christians? How, how do we do these? So these are some of the questions, and over the next 35 minutes, we're going to answer every one of them to your complete satisfaction. <laughs> Yay! That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Uh, is it live? Do you tell people it's a lie? I suppose it's, uh, that's another question for another day. Um, here's what we do hope to accomplish in the next, uh, this week and then the next four. We want to dive into what, what wisdom we can glean from God's word when it comes to work. And, I, and because it's such a big topic, we're going to narrow our focus in on four areas. So this is our roadmap here, our executive summary, to use that imagery, for the next four weeks. Next week, we're going to dig into this one. What does our origin narrative say about the nature of God, humanity, and work? If you're not familiar with Christianity, we have a... A origin narrative We call it the book of Genesis Where we have our origins Laid out for us And so we're going to look into that What does it say about these things How does the Protestant work ethic relate to the gospel That might sound really dry I'm pumped to get into number two uh, Number three How do we witness well in the marketplace Reference that a little earlier And then number four This is huge if you've got a full time plus job Are there any biblical best practices family collide. So that's where we're going. Let's get right to work. Um, and we're going to do another attempt at name that tune. If for no other reason, because it failed so miserably, if you were here on Memorial Day weekend, I thought, ah, people have seen the Muppet movie, the new one? No. Nobody except my family, I guess, have seen that movie. So we had kids in with us. I'm like, I got the perfect object lesson. Everybody's looking at me like, what? I was expecting kids to sing along. Oh, my word. It was horrible. Um, so redemption is a Christian theme. We are going to try to have a little redemption here today. I hope that some of you, uh, some of you will know this song because my last attempt at name that tune was about as successful as a Dirty Harry reboot starring Justin Bieber. All right. So undaunted, we'll give it another try. I'm hoping at least half of you have heard this song. I'm going to give you a full 30 seconds. All right. So I'm going to set this up for success. I hope this is a softball you hit out of the park. If you recognize this song, write it down on your sheet. Artist and tune. Here we go. It relates to work. I'll even give you that. I hope we can get this one. Anyone got? All right. We got a couple. You still have 29 seconds. So go for it. Heard that one. Come on, some of you. Have. All right. Boom. 
kept young people are going, dude, I don't have that on my iPod. What kind of music do you still listen to? Actually, that is part of my point here. Part of my point is that this is an oldie that a lot of us still remember. Maybe some of you recognize these songs. All of these songs are 20, 30, 40 or years old or more, which really made me feel really old when I looked up how old these were. Working for the weekend, lover boy, it's a classic. Working for a living, footloose, even some of our young people might have heard that one, right? A manic Monday, that's about as ancient as you get. Bang on the drum all day, I don't want to work, all right? Uh, working in a coal mine, here's some really old ones. Chain gang, 16 tons, and take this job. Ooh, I don't think you can say that title in church. Uh, so, how many of you have cranked up at least one of these at some point in your life going, this is how I feel right now about work. Again, one of the reasons I chose um, songs that are older, besides the fact I don't listen to the radio anymore and don't know any new ones, um, besides that, it, there is actually a point here. What is the shelf life of most new songs? It is not 20 years. It is not 30 years. It is not 40 years. It is 20 days. It is 30 minutes. It is 40 seconds, right? Um, but these songs stood the test of time. And I want to present to you that it's not just because some of them had a hook, but I would say that it's because of a theme. There's a common theme about those work songs that weaves through all of them, and that is, I don't like work. I don't like it. Or put another way, we can write this down in your notes, most people think that work is something they must do in order to be able to do what they actually want to do. I think that is a very common understanding of work. It makes total sense. And I think that's how most people feel. So they hear these songs, they go, I can relate to that. I really couldn't find many songs that sung the praises of work. You know, there were not many of them. The average person will invest about 100,000 hours in video games and in work outside the home. But for most people, it's not a very rewarding experience. When they do studies, you read these surveys, 70, 80%, seven, 8 out of 10 folks Say it's dissatisfying. It's not satisfying. It's not meaningful. Most people, when they survey, most people feel like the organization they work for doesn't care about them as an individual. Most people who are working, they don't feel like what they're doing is actually making much of a difference in the world. They're working for the man every night and day. Big grocery fund turning. The uh, many people feel underutilized. They, it, one of these two extremes, right? It's either. My company is not getting much out of me, or, for crying out loud, they're killing me. Yeah, it's one of these two things. So there, it makes total sense why people have an adverse feeling, many people, towards work. For most Americans, work is depleting, it is dispiriting. And over the next five weeks, what I want to do as best I can, with God's help, is to provide an alternative. And that's the Christian understanding, the Christian there's a place to write this down in your notes. I believe this. This is not Christianese. Christianity offers an alternative approach to work that is as compelling as it is countercultural. And you see it even in our language. You see this different ways of thinking. In our English language, often people will take the word vocation and they'll use it interchangeably with the word occupation. Occupation is just something that occupies your time. And so people will take a word like vocation, they'll say, well, vocation, occupation, it's all the same. It's just occupying your time. It's a way to pay the bills. The word vocation comes from a Latin word meaning calling and call. 
So the Christian approach to work is very different. It's not just something that occupies your time. It's a holy calling. And it's not just in the workplace. This calling that we have as believers, it extends to the home. It extends, if you're a student, to your efforts. It extends, if you're a citizen of anything, to your relationships. For the Christian, this calling, this calling, it's to holy work. There's a, a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And as I was doing my research, my prep for this, um, this series, I came across uh, this paraphrase of Ecclesiastes 5.18. They paraphrase it like this. They said, it is good and proper for a person to find satisfaction in their labor. I said, i got to fact check that one. Because I'm thinking, Ecclesiastes? The, the theme of Ecclesiastes is not satisfaction. It's I can't get no satisfaction. It's meaningless. Here's, what, here's the tone of Ecclesiastes. The tone of Ecclesiastes is, is found in Ecclesiastes 2, 22 through 23. It says, what do people get? For all their toil and anxious striving in which they labor under the sun, all their day's work is grief. It is pain even at night. Their minds do not rest. Can I get an amen? Amen. This too is meaningless. Meaningless. So I looked up Ecclesiastes 5.8. And I said, I'm going to look it up in, in not just a paraphrase. I'm going to try to find more of a literal translation. There's a translation called the ESV that's a more literal translation. I looked it up. And you know, it, it, that paraphrase has some merit. Here's what it says. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. We have an old school copy here. It's actual paper and books. Um, you can get them online. But if you want a free old school copy, you got them right there at that table. There, that table in the back. It's a gift for you. We'd love for you to, to have it as a free gift for you. Okay, here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in which one toils under the sun for the few days of life that God has given him. This is his lot. All right, so as you unpack this verse, you go away from just the summary, you start to see, well, maybe it's about this rhythm. Maybe that's it. Maybe you work 9 to 5, so from 5.01 to 8.59, the next morning, you can eat, drink, and be merry. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's rhythm. And the Bible does speak to rhythm. The Bible encourages rhythm. Rhythms to life. All right? In fact, here's a good summary. This is from a guy named Tim Keller. He says, hey, tranquility without toil, that's not going to bring satisfaction. Neither will toil without tranquility. So, so there's something to that rhythm, but that's not how you could summarize the Christian approach to work. It's not as simple as work hard, play hard, and have fun in your play because you've got to work. It's much richer than that. And I would argue, argue that this uh, tw early 20th century author Gets it pretty good. Her name's Dorothy Sayers. She writes this. This is at the turn of the century. What, what is the Christian understanding of work? It's not primarily a thing one does to live. It's the thing one lives to do. It is the full expression of a worker's faculties. It is the medium in which he or she offers themselves to God. And what I hope you start to see here is that there's two different paths. There's the cultural norm path, and then there's this Christian approach. And as we continue to see how these paths diverge, let's make it a little more personal now. And I've got some questions for you to be thinking about yourself. How do you approach work? And let's start with this question here. And this is the question that really will, in a lot of ways, frame next week. Do you approach work as a necessary evil? And if you're honest, is, is work a necessary evil? Now, 
if the Bible's descriptions of the devil are accurate, which I believe they are, and if I were the devil, which I believe I'm not, I would set out to frame work. I would do this. I would say work is a necessary evil. I would get you to believe that. Why would I get you to believe that? Because if I can get you to believe that work is a necessary evil, you will not understand who God is. You will not understand who you were created to be. You will not understand what our purpose in life is. It's that, and that's not hyperbole, it's that big of a deal. Work, understanding work correctly is essential to understanding God, humanity, and our purpose in life. Let's take a look at this. Let's, let's press in this a little bit. And again, if you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to fact check me. Go onto a Bible search engine like BibleGateway.com. Type in the word God. Type in the word work. Do a search where both of those words are in the same passage. Over a hundred references have God and work together in the same passage. And it's, it's, it's the full character of God, the full personhood of God. In the Holy Scriptures, God the Father works. Here's an example of that from the Old Testament. Isaiah 64, 8. Oh, Lord, you are the Father. We are the clay. You're the potter. We are the work of your hand. So God the Father works. God the Son works. Here's an example from the Gospel of John. John 5, 17. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day. I too, says Jesus, am working. God the Spirit works. Here's an example from one of Paul's letters. All of these are the work of the same Spirit. The Bible begins to talk about work as soon as it begins to talk about anything. Here's another quote from Tim Keller. Repeatedly, the first chapters of our book of origins here, the book of Genesis, the first chapters describe God at work, and when they use the word work, it's the same Hebrew word that they use for ordinary work. It's not that God has a special kind of work, and they use a different word for that. It's the same word. And here's something that's interesting. I never made this connection before. This is why it's so good to press into topics. I never made this connection before. In the ancient world, particularly the ancient Near East where the Bible came up. In the ancient Near East, if you were a king, if you were a ruler, one of the things you would do is you would set up a temple or some kind of shrine and you would put your image in it. You would put your image in that temple or shrine. And by doing so, you are staking that ground and you're saying, this is my representation that I rule this. This is my authority. And so people would see that and they would see this is the domain of this king. If you're familiar with our origin story, what's it say? It says that men and women were created in God's image. And we were put all over the world here. We're told to actually go to all parts of the world to represent him and to bring his plans and purposes into this world. It wasn't a punishment. We were sent out as representatives and authority with an authority unique among God's creation. As his image bearers, both men and women were called to bring order out of chaos. We're called to creatively build a civilization. We're called to care for all that God has made. And now I, I think of that passage that says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Which enriches to that. I'm not aware of any other ancient faith. The Jews didn't borrow this from somebody. The Christians didn't borrow this from somebody. I'm not aware of any ancient faith or belief system that understood God this way, humanity this way, or work this way. And the earliest Christian writings we've got, they, they apply to the same approach. This wasn't just a Judaism thing. They began to see this in early Christianity. This is from a letter that can be dated to 62 AD. It's included in our Bible as the book of Ephesians. It 
is on the real letter, written to the Ephesians. Here's what it says, Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are God's what? We are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Work can have significance. It can be filled with it. Work is something that God does. Good works are what we are called to do as his image bearers, as his representatives. And once again, this is unique to the ancient world. Take the Greeks, for instance. Here's another quote, Tim Keller. Uh, While the Greek thinkers saw ordinary work, especially manual labor, as relegating human beings to the animal level, the Bible sees all work as distinguishing human beings from animals and elevating them to a place of dignity. Author Philip Jensen puts it this way. He says, okay, if God came into the world, what would he be like? Well, for the ancient Greeks, he would have been a philosopher king. To the ancient Romans, he might have looked like a just and noble statement. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world? He comes as a what? Week two of this series, next week, Nick's going to take us deeper into this origin here. I'm really excited. He's got some great stuff planned and how this shapes our approach to work. And I want to strongly encourage you in advance to prepare for that. Read Genesis all right, so that's next week. Let's turn a corner. Here's a question that we're going to press into in week three of this series. And it's this question. Under what circumstances should one person be entitled to the fruit of another person's labor? We're not going to get all political with this. That's not where I'm going if you're, if you're afraid. That's not it. This idea of entitlement, regardless of who you are, this idea of entitlement, meaning I deserve this, that's significant. Significant. If I were the devil, I would pave the path to entitlement. I would make it so easy, so easy. I would whisper in the ear of every individual, you deserve the job that you want. You deserve the salary that you want. You deserve the benefits that you want. I would tell every individual that. I would whisper in the ear of those in marketing, and I'd give them great ideas. I I would tell them how, how you make everyone think it's all Go for it. Tell them it's all about them. Tell them that they deserve that new thing. They, they, they should have that new thing. They need that new thing. And if they can't afford that thing, that's too bad. Because they deserve it and they need it. They should get it. I would whisper in the ear of politicians. I would help them justify the wrong type of entitlement programs. The type of programs that undermine personal responsibility. The type of programs that make it easy to disconnect with responsibility. I would, I would make it in such a way, this will never happen in our culture, but I would make it in such a way where there was resentment, where people were saying, I should get more of what you have earned, and make these people say, you're taking what I should be able to keep. I would, make, I would feed that instead of having it be inspiring generosity, joyful giving, and inspiring Second, and then really press into in a couple of weeks, 
this just hit me. Beyond any socially destructive aspects, entitlement undermines the gospel of grace. I never thought about that before. An entitlement mentality undermines the gospel of grace. If you have an entitlement mindset, you're unamazed by grace. You think, of course God should love me. What's not to love? People have been telling me forever, I am special. I can do whatever I want to do. I want to be a sumo wrestler? Great. I can be a pro athlete? Great. You know, uh, of course God should give me what I want. The world does. If God exists, he should answer my prayers. He should protect me from pain and protect me from discomfort because I deserve it. A good God, give me what I want. It undermines the gospel of grace. And I just gave away a great idea for a book. If you ever write a book called Unamazed by Grace, remember me. All right? You'll sell a million copies. If you have an entitlement mindset, God's grace is not amazing. It's something you deserve. It's like something that's out of your hands. So in two weeks, what I want to do is I want to dust off an approach to life that's very different. I want to approach, approach, dust off an approach to life that Martin Luther and other people that we call the reformers in the 16th century rediscovered. And there was a brief period where some people were really trying to advance that ball down the field, and then it got lost again. This, this idea of what we call Protestant work ethic, it is not just work hard. It is so rich. Let me give you this teaser, and then we have to move on. This comes from a book called um, God at Work, where he tries to summarize in a more accessible way some of the works of the Reformers. It's in your notes. I would encourage you to consider this one. He does a great job of summarizing the richness of this Protestant work ethic. Here's just a teaser from his book, God at Work. He says this, and by the way, all of the non-gender inclusive language, it's on him. So you can email him, not me, all right, on that. Um, he says this. He says, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and observe Luther, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. We might today add the truck drivers who haul the produce, the factory workers in the food processing plant, the warehouse men, the wholesale distributors, the stock boys, the lady at the checkout counter. See, it's on him, not me. I didn't write that. And and all those who are playing the part, who are bankers and futures investors and advertisers and lawyers and and agricultural scientists and mechanical engineers and every other player in our economic system. If we can rediscover that, Some people have earned this stereotype. Here's a stereotype of an evangelical Christian that I heard recently. Evangelical Christian walks into the company uh, cafeteria and sees somebody who's unsaved. And so comes up to the unsaved person and says, oh, is this seat saved? Wait for it. 
and by the way, are you? And that, never use that line, ever, right? Never use that line. But what happens is if you compartmentalize the two things, there's a secular and a sacred, you start thinking the only way to bring God into the workplace is through these manipulative techniques. Instead of a holistic approach, here's just a couple ways you can bring God into the workplace. Here's some examples. Engaging and influencing your culture. Reaching out to those in the margins. Being centered as a person. I, did, I had a guy come up to me. He says, I've been working. I'm retired now, but I've, I've been working for whatever, 50, 60 years. He said, the only boss that I ever hated working for was a professing Christian. You know? Personal honesty and integrity. Skillful, excellent work, passion, and commitment. Financial generosity, servant leadership, creating beauty, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly. What if we looked at it as that? Instead of how do I get this open line to a really awkward conversation? What if that's how we approach work? If you're only going to read one of the books that I recommend in this series, read Genesis. But if you're going to read two, um, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor, excellent book. He doesn't just address this idea of witnessing the workplace, compartmentalizing. This is the best one I've read so far on articulating a distinctly Christian approach to work. It's a great book. I make it require reading if I am able. All right, one last, uh, one last preview, and that's this one. Um, here's the question that is going to frame our last week of the series. Did faith and family get Research, I came across this quote. This will be too close to home for many of you. If you don't come in on Saturdays, said this boss, don't bother to come in on Sunday. I don't think he was joking, though. If I were the devil, I would get people so focused on the means that they lose sight of the ends. Best book of the subject I read, short little quick read, Choosing Chief, Andy Stanley. Great little book about what to do when faith and family collide. So there's some more resources. All right. That, what I've just given you is a quick overview. That's where we're going for the next four weeks after this one. And are you beginning to see there's, there's two different paths here, two very different paths. There's the pop culture path that looks at work one way, and then there's this different approach, a different approach to work. Um, when it comes to our culture, it, does, it makes complete sense when you think about it, about why um, work isn't working for most people. Dave Hansen sent me a email link to, the, to an article. This was from the New York Times. And the New York Times, this was the number two, was it? Number two most forwarded email um, that they had on their website at the time. The title of the article was, Why You Hate Work. The very first sentence was, the way we're working isn't working. And if it's not working, how about a different approach? How about a different approach? And the reason I've been using the word approach rather than a Christian way of thinking is it's an approach. It's not just a head thing. It's an approach. It is a response. It's a response to what Christians call the gospel. I feel like I'm rediscovering the gospel. I was heavily influenced by a lot of the stereotypical evangelical thinking which reduced the gospel to one tiny facet. The gospel is so rich. So rich. Here's a Tim Keller articulates the gospel as well as anyone. He says this, without an understanding of the gospel, and he's applying this specifically to work. Without an understanding of this gospel, you're going to be either, either naively utopian or cynically disillusioned. 
understanding of the gospel, we will be either naively utopian or cynically disillusioned. We will be demonizing something that isn't bad enough to explain the mess we're in, or we're going to idolize something that isn't powerful enough to get us out of it. The gospel can get us out of it and frames everything. It's the good news. It's shorthand. The gospel is shorthand for so many things. It's shorthand. Here's just one facet of the gospel that I love. Christianity is a covenant. You know, in our workplace, in our workplace, we're used to contracts, right? How many of you deal with contracts? Transactional contracts. One small facet of the gospel dynamic is that God is inviting us into a transformational covenant. And here it is. Look at what God does. Covenant's a, a two-way deal. Here's God's towards us. The gospel is a covenant that God has initiated. He started it. We don't come to God first. He initiated. Here's some aspects of it. God created our world, and we're part of his creation. He made us as image bearers, not just humanity. You as an individual bear the image of God. So he's done that already. He has created you. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ to do good works, which he already prepared in advance for you to do. Okay? We're not done. This God's done all this, and we're not done. He demonstrates his commitment, his love for us. He sends his one and only son to pay the price for our sin. And, and this is all the above sin. This is the stuff we did because we didn't even know it was wrong. And it's the deliberate stuff. He sent his son to pay the price that, that we owe for that. Okay? This is all still, this is all God. We haven't done anything yet, right? He then draws us to himself through his Holy Spirit. Uh, this is, for those of you who keep an eye on the church calendar, it's Pentecost Sunday. And we have these little, little flames here. God sent his spirit. He sends his spirit. To draw us. When you say, I made a decision for Christ, God initiates that. You can't, you can't even come to Christ unless he draws you through his spirit. So he does that. And then he says, I will equip you. I will transform you through that same spirit. Right? What have we done so far? Nothing. And then he gives us his living his scriptures. He's established this church so that not only are we not alone without him, we're not alone with people. He's done all this. He initiates this. He's saying, all right, you want to enter a new covenant? Before you even say, I'm willing, here. What's our response? Wow. Okay. I'm in. That's it. That's our response. Just say, done everything. You're not some celestial CEO and some celestial boss. You're the creator. You reveal yourself as a perfect father. You reveal yourself as a friend. You're kidding me. Okay? And you've done all these things and all that you're asking is for me now to walk in that, to walk towards all that good for you to, for me to leave behind sin and destructive behaviors to start to be about your work of transforming this world? Okay. That's the covenant. Yes to all. Okay. I'm in. You get to be God. And here I am. That's the covenant. So as we close the service, I want to give you a chance to close the service and start this new series. To either recommit to that, or maybe for the first time to say, okay, today, starting right now, God, I want to say yes to that. So however you need to get away from distractions. For me, a lot of times i got to close my eyes, but whatever you need to do, just eliminate distractions for just a second.
to pray to that end as we close the service and start the suit. Father, help us to be amazed by grace in this culture where we just think we should deserve these things. It is amazing that you created this world that you created. We were talking to families out of town and just this world where there's fish in this ocean and there's, there's skate parks to get out and skate in and there's all these great sports to, to get involved in and there's just mountains to climb and sunsets to see and sunrises to see and people to meet and things to taste and things to build and this is Minecraft has got nothing on this world that is the real thing that you have created and then you've given us good work to help restore it and renew it and bring joy and bring good things to every corner of it thank you for extending this invitation and we say yes we say yes to all your help, God. We confess that, that we can't break the chains that want to tie us to our old lives. And we, we thank you that you desire to help us and to set us free. So, Father, we say yes, and then we ask to show us what our next steps are. Who can we pray with? Who can we talk to? What can we do so that we can experience that freedom and the joy of that invitation? Lord, we pray for these next several weeks. Open our minds, open our hearts to see work the way that you created it to be so that our lives can be satisfaction and joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to continue that conversation or continue those prayers, there's people that would love to pray with you right over there with a the sign that says prayer. If you want to talk about any of the things that we talked about, let me know. God bless you. Have a great day.